weight loss, body composition, and mastering the art of rocking the body you've always deserved and dreamed of in midlife and beyond. Let's cut through the noise. Society tells us it's downhill from now on. We're told to embrace the middle age weight gain, embrace the muscle loss and poor health. If that's your vibe, then cool. But if you're ready to defy the narrative, then I am your gal. This podcast is a no fluff podcast where we break down the essential truths of body composition, toss around some practical tips and dissect the latest trends. I'm not here to sugarcoat. I'm here to show you what's not just possible, but downright probable for you. If you enjoy this content, be sure to click the link in the show notes to explore how we can team up and kick mediocrity to the curb. I offer one-on-one coaching, my ever-popular group coaching programs, and my corporate Educate to Elevate program. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Enjoy. Food preferences. So you might feel like you have a food preference for something sweet, maybe something savory. And the thing about food preferences, they can be changed. So do not feel that you are going to be held hostage to a food that you thoroughly enjoy at the moment, but maybe isn't the best for you. So food preferences are very much linked to comparison. So when we eat a food that we like, and maybe it's not the best food for us, then the foods that we eat afterwards don't really compare too well to our favorite foods. So often what I see is people sticking to meal plans and diet type foods during the week, and then they let loose a little bit on the weekend or they have their cheat meal where they indulge in their food preferences. And what happens there is then on Monday, when they go back to their um, diet, quote unquote, then it's hard to stick to because the food that they're eating tastes bland and boring because it is being compared to the food that they just ate over the weekend or in a cheat meal. So if we think about a um, a Japanese restaurant and they sell, uh, they serve, sorry, multiple dishes and they start with the least flavorful food. So it's usually a white fish or something. And then as the courses progress, the food gets more and more flavorful until at the end they finish with a delicious dessert. And they do that because you will enjoy the earlier courses because you're not comparing them to anything. So you have that weight fish and it tastes great. And then the the taste flavors uh, progress and progress and progress to the dessert. If it wasn't in such a structured order, the more bland food would not taste as well. So if they put the dessert first and the white fish last, that white fish is going to taste nasty because you're comparing that taste to the, the dishes that have come prior. If we think about our own restaurant experiences and we start with a, I don't know, a, a soup or a starter salad or something like that, and we, you know, we have our entree and then we maybe have a dessert, then if it was the other way around and we had the dessert first and then we had the soup or starter salad last, they wouldn't taste that great and we wouldn't enjoy it as much, which is more the point, because we had, you know, the sweet thing first. We had the fun, delicious thing first. 
So if you feel like, oh my gosh, I've, I've, I, I, you know, I've got to change the way I eat, and I just don't like eating these foods that are good for me. Don't, don't let that verbiage hold you back, because it's more likely that your pr- 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 food preferences are just because you're comparing the foods that you're meant to eat with the foods that you like to eat. And the message going forward would be to bear this in mind when we have our cheat meals, off meals, when we have a little bit of fun, and then it's hard to get back on track. It's okay. It's just this food preference because you're comparing it to what you just ate. Now, if there is a food that is really holding you back, that you're always drawn to, it's always like your Achilles heel and you always end up going back to it, then maybe that has to go for a while. Because when you distance it from it, uh, distance yourself from it, you know, it distanced yourself from the craving of it. But it's um, the foods that you're eating on a more regular basis will be more enjoyable if they're not being compared to that one food type that's holding you back. Now, falling in line with that, there's the the subject of food preferences with regards to an acquired taste. So many of you might be thinking, I hate vegetables. Why, you know, vegetables are free on the meal plans and things, but I don't even like vegetables. I'm not going to eat a salad. I don't like them. Well, for one, stop that verbiage, right? Um, and for two, when it comes to, I don't know, say vegetables or black coffee is a big one. You know, if people are fasting and they suggest they move to black coffee or black tea and they're like, oh, I can't even imagine. I hate that. I don't know how anyone drinks it. Well, that was the same for all of us. Because when it comes to that and acquired taste and get it and getting a taste for something, don't think that is um, not going to happen for you. So what happens there is when there's a food that, or, or a drink that we don't like, and the, the top three there are, you know, I'm going to make it a top four. The top three are dark chocolate, alcohol, and uh, coffee. I'm going to throw vegetables in there as well. So the first time people taste those, they dislike them. They're like, oh my gosh, this dark chocolate is too bitter. Alcohol, how does anybody drink that? Coffee, ugh, wow. It only takes a few times. So when it comes to to this type of food preference, it is more a function of um, exposure. So you change your food preference by your exposure to that food. So the black coffee at first tastes nasty, but if you have it a couple more times, and this works, guys, I promise you this works, all of a sudden what you think is absolutely disgusting and bitter, all of a sudden you have a taste for it. I see this all the time. Now, alcohol, first time you taste alcohol, it's terrible. It doesn't take very long to that glass of wine or whatever it is, tasting rather good. And this is what we call an acquired taste. Black coffee, a big one, dark chocolate, the alcohol, but also I'm going to say uh, vegetables and some of the uh, more uh, healthful food. At first, people can't even imagine eating them because they're coming off such unhealthful food. But if you expose yourself to them just a few times, it doesn't take very long. All of a sudden, those foods are really great. They taste great. And it's not like you've had this great epiphany But what's happened is you've just been exposed to them a few times and your taste buds change and all of a sudden they taste great. I cannot tell you how many times this happens with coffee. 
when, when, when people want to do some intermittent fasting. But the one thing that is holding them back is I can't stand black coffee, but I can't live without my coffee. And within a week, it's even less than a week, like, wow, I, I really have a taste for it. To the point when, and myself included, I can't imagine putting creamer in a coffee. It's like, that's going to taste gross. Don't help back by um, a limiting the belief that you may have that you hate the foods that you're meant to eat because they're good for you. It might just take a little while and it's not going to take as long as you think. Finally, on that subject, um, when it comes to appetite, so appetite is a learned behavior. So hunger is a natural physiological reaction, right? But 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 appetite is way more of a learned behavior. And a lot of us are bringing our past into our present. So I'll talk, I'll give you two examples, personal examples here, and I'll start with my dad. So my dad was born in uh, during World War II, two, and uh, when food was rationed. So uh, my mom, my mom as well. So they will tell stories of the family of four getting, you know, three eggs per week and how my grandmother used to give the three hard boiled eggs to her kids, but she would slice the top off and she would just eat the little top off each of each of egg, each off off the top of each egg. So she got a little bit of egg white. So growing up, both my mom and dad, you know, when they were like like five to 10 years old, Food was very scarce. It was a very precious commodity. And you better not waste your food. Um, especially my dad has carried this right through his life. He will always finish a plate of food. Always. I mean, he will take the pattern off the plate. That's the joke, right? That, I mean, he won't leave anything on that plate to the point of him feeling nauseous and sick, sick and not feeling well. He will finish all the food in front of him. And that is a learned behavior from his childhood. Now, that became a problem because, um, you know, me being English and English portions are a lot smaller than American portions. So, you know, when they started to come visit me, you know, 30 years ago in America and we get the monstrous portions that are served in America. And, you know, in England, they don't box things up. No, nobody takes a doggy box. They don't box things up. That's kind of weird. But in America, obviously, it's it's very common to do so. But my dad will come, you know, I used to come on things like the Cheesecake Factory, and he would finish everything in the bread basket, you know, that bread, and that full plate and the cheesecake that came with it, which is the you know family size, he would eat all of it until he was you know he would be physically sick. This is this isn't um it's not gluttony. It's a learned behavior that he's had his whole life. Now, if we want to use myself as, as an example, and you know once I became aware of this, this I had to make the shift. So for me, the behavior was I was a professional bodybuilder. And as a female, especially to build muscle, you have to eat. And it was the fashion back there. Then thankfully, it's not anymore. But you had to eat every two hours. And I had to eat as much as I could. So, you know, I was a, I was a bodybuilder from the age of I started competing at 17. And I, I competed up until the age of 30. And especially when I came to America, I feel like I didn't do it as much in England, but especially when I came to America where I was professional and I was really up against it, against these, these girls, you know, 
you know, as an amateur, I won everything. I won the I won the British, I won the European, I won the world championships, I won everything. As, as a pro, I didn't work, win a darn thing. I, you know, it was a whole different ladder to climb. And so there was a lot of pressure on me to get bigger and get muscular. And I was, I was definitely, you know, moving away from what I wanted to do, but th- there was definitely a pressure there. So I had to eat. I had to eat. I had to eat. I had to eat. And so I had this identity of um, a professional bodybuilder whose job it was to gain muscle and therefore I had to eat. Now, fast forward to when I retired from bodybuilding and I was used to eating like huge amounts of food. Can't say I really enjoyed it, um, but I did. I mean, I was definitely preconditioned. It was definitely what I'm telling saying is it was definitely a learned behavior now I was um, a big girl and I didn't want to be big. I never wanted to be that big in the first place. So now I have to tone it down, but I'm used to eating a lot of food. Now, thankfully, I, I knew kind of the, the psychology behind this and I kind of knew what was going on. But uh, to eat less, you know, there was almost an anxiety to it. I mean, when I was competing, when I was eating, I always had to know where the next meal was coming from. You know, I would carry extra meals in my car and things like that. And then when I finished competing, that was that was disturbing to me because I felt like a big girl with a big appetite. And that's not really attractive to me, that I have to know where the next meal is coming from. I have anxiety if I don't know what I'm going to eat in the next two hours. That's, that's not That's not a nice identity to have for yourself. And I had it. So I had to change it around. I had to uh, really really changed that story for myself. And then, um, you know, I fast every day now. I never ate ate till noon. I've been doing that for a long, long time now. And one thing it did for me, probably more than anything, was even though I've been doing this for, you know, know, it's almost three decades since I competed, what that changed for me was it gave me an identity shift. So still in the back of my mind somewhere, I've got this, I'm a big girl with a big appetite. You know, I just over the years learned to eat really well. So even though the quantity of food was more than most people, I could justify it because I trained a lot and I could justify it because the food was always really good food. It was always healthy food. Um, But still, I didn't like that identity. And then the fasting, when I started doing that, and it became very easy, very, very quickly and that identity shift for me was, oh, um, well, for one, I'm no longer a big girl, but I don't have a big appetite. Intermittent fasting for me really gave me an identity shift, which worked very well for me. So I realized, oh, Joanne, you don't have to eat every few hours. You don't have to snack all the time. But what I did need, I did need, and it works for me, I did need a very hard boundary. I needed that boundary of like, I do not eat until noon. Um, there was no wiggle room. There's like, well, so I'll do that three days a week. I'll do that four days a week because I know me. I'm going to, if I if give me wiggle room, I'm going to wiggle. So it was a firm boundary on a daily basis. And, you know, when I first started doing it, I said, you know, it was after a totally debaucherous Christmas. That's when it happened. And I was like, I'm going to do it for January. And then I did it for January. And that was pretty flipping easy. And so I was like, well, I'll do it for February. And then, you know, I think I'm five years on now. Um, 
It became very easy very quickly and it became a very easy habit to incorporate because I did it on a daily basis. If I had chose to do that three days a week, it would have been hard. It would have been that mental game of like, well, I'll do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Well, I didn't do it Wednesday, so I'll do it Thursday. Oh, it becomes that conversation in your head, which just drives me crazy. So the fasting for me very quickly shifted my identity and um, I'm not hungry when, when I fast. And um, those of you, a lot of you will understand what I'm saying here. So it shifted my self-image to being like, I don't have to eat every few hours. Um, I am somebody that can fast. I can control my food. And, you know, once you change your self-image, once you change your the, a belief about yourself, it really does open up what is possible for you. So anyway, um, this was about food preferences. And if there's foods holding you back, foods that you uh, you love, you enjoy and you're always drawn to, they are a function of comparison. So when it is hard to stick to more healthful foods, it is because you're comparing them to a food preference that you had and a food that you keep consuming especially problematic with cheat meals and weekends. It just makes getting back on track much harder. And that just becomes an exhausting cycle if you choose to stay on it. Also, food preferences are, um, it can be an appetite. It can be a learned behavior. Um, okay, my dad and myself as an example, maybe you can think of your own examples with that with regards to a learned behavior. We, you know, we always think of, somebody that it was you know food was always a reward for them as a child i'm sure you have your own examples which are cropping up for you right now but finally just know that if you feel like losing weight or changing your body composition is going to be hard because you don't enjoy the foods that you know make you weigh less then don't then give up on that 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 um that thought because with an acquired taste acquired tastes are just what you are exposed to. And sometimes a food that you don't particularly enjoy, once you're exposed to it a few times, your taste buds change and you actually get pleasure from that food. Now, you might not believe me right now, but trust me, it is true. Anyway, I hope this is helpful. Speak to you next time. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I trust I sparked your interest, provided a nugget or two of wisdom, and armed you with something practical for immediate use. If you've got burning questions or specific topics that you'd like me to tackle, check out the show notes for ways to reach out. Until next time, stay curious. If you've enjoyed this content, be sure to click the link in the show notes to explore how we can work together. And please go to www.theshrinkshop.com.